Hello, Chris. Uh, thank you for joining uh, Inside from Business. Uh, we know each other from uh, from an uh, M&A community, and you even helped me you know, for uh, for some period of time to 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 change my mind in 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 terms of my business activities. So thank you for that. And your areas are uh, M&A and growing companies or preparing them for exit. So how would you how would you introduce introduce yourself to to audience who 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 don't know you? Sure. First off, Lubo, thank you so much. I'm um, very appreciative of the opportunity to, to be a guest and to address your audience. So thank you for that. But I'll tell you, uh, when you're as entrepreneurial as I am, I guess, it's hard to give yourself a title. I was actually um, at an event the other day and the MC uh, commented, he said like, who here knows Dr. Daigle? And everybody raised their hand. They said, who, who here knows what he does? <laughs> Nobody answered. So to, what I tell people though, typically, um, in this environment, I would say, listen, so what, what my strategic advisory does is we help companies scale like crazy, we make the growth easy, and we keep the owners sane in the process. So that comes from, uh, I mean, 20 years of, of working with owners, founders, CEOs, uh, and identifying commonalities and kind of universal problems that businesses have. Um, so when I say that, when I say I can keep the owner sane in the process and that sort of thing, it's 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 sincere. We truly do know how to operate an environment of compressed results with high velocity without introducing more chaos into your environment. If anything, we, we're starting to, to get rid of chaos from day one once our involvement is uh, is official with the business. Mm-hmm. And how did you uh, how did you end up uh, do, doing this? What was your journey up to up to this point? It's a good question. Um, you know, I, entrepreneurship is something that they teach in schools now. However, uh, some of us were just wired that way, and no amount of schooling could have taught us how to be more of a, a deal maker, a hustler, like a, a mover and shaker, right? So for me, it was a natural progression. Um, I, you know, a, I guess a, a comical anecdote would be that. Um, when I was in the fifth grade, I realized that people would pay more for a candy bar at school than they would outside of school. So I said, well, what if I bought them cheap outside of school and sold them from my locker? So I ended up arbitraging candy in the fifth grade and realized, hey, this is kind of cool. Um, so that first exposed me to the the concept of uh, business, really. Um, Fast forward, I ended up uh, being a high-tech consultant with Anderson Consulting. It's now called Accenture. So that kind of got me, it helped calibrate my business mind for scale. Um, the, the first client I worked on was Halliburton UK, and I don't know, billions of dollars a year. So it was a real eye-opener for me as an entrepreneur to be in an environment where bigger numbers were okay to talk about. It was just the norm. Um, but the corporate world wasn't really for me. I'm much more of a... Uh, I like to be able to operate from a plan, but much more dynamically and be more nimble than that. So I ended up launching uh, a real estate investment business in 20, 2002. We were able to catch that ride up with the, the global uh, real estate boom that occurred then. Um, but part of the process was I, I had a web-based software built for my own efforts to kind of manage my deals. SaaS, had no idea that that's what it was at the time. Um, Ended up selling subscriptions online to other real estate investors, and it was an instant success. And it was um, it was the thing that that made me start paying attention to not just the real estate investing, but also 
this, uh, the ability to monetize content or uh, knowledge online. So I started studying direct response marketing. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, it's a very data-driven marketing effort so that we're not, we're not attempting any branding. Uh, this is all about um, if I spend a dollar, can I track how much comes back and how long it takes to come back and that sort of thing. So that level of optics and intelligent design in my marketing really was fascinating to me to understand uh, influence and persuasion in the marketplace. Uh, and so I, I really, I kind of dove into that. And that led me to um, a lot of wonderful opportunities. One of those was uh, the biggest opportunity I had at the time was working with a company called Agora Publishing. They're based out of Baltimore. And if any of you are familiar with a company, say a Motley Fool, um, that type of thing, where their primary business was to provide um, analysis and investment advice for self-directed investors, for people who um, had the interest or the savvy to be able to manage their own resources rather than just put them into a mutual fund or, or you know, let your broker deal with it. So um, it fit very well in line with my ideals as far as uh, taking control of the result that I get out of life and things. So it was a, thematically, it was a good match. Um, another environment where I really got exposed to the big numbers. Um, it was not uncommon for Agora to spend collectively, I don't know, $50 million some months on ad spend amongst all the divisions. And in a marketing environment, that's a, that's a very robust budget. So um, being comfortable operating at that level, uh, again, helped recalibrate me to, to pursue opportunities that, that were at that level. And um, it's been one of the accidental discoveries in my life that really made a difference. The things that you and I do at whatever level we're operating at, Lubo, they translate to higher levels. And most businesses, uh, I say most businesses, the businesses that reach out to me, again, to reference my nickname, it's Dr. Daigle. People call me that because they call me when their businesses are in trouble because of my network, my experience, uh, financial resources, whatever the case might be. Um, but the people that tended to call me, I started to notice, again, universal issues with their business. Um, and that led me to look for some frameworks or models that would allow me to, not cookie cutter, but certainly uh, be able to deploy something into a business to fix it quickly. And in 2000 and probably 14, I discovered this concept of a business operating system. Now, if any of you are you know, techie or whatever, you automatically assume operating system as it relates to technology. Um, but there's an operating system for the people in your business as well. Uh, some or all of you have organically created an operating system, whether you know it or not. It may be messy, it may be clean, it may be buggy, uh, it may be effective, maybe it's not. But I found one that, that at the time um, was my go-to, and it's called EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. Uh, five, six, or whenever that was, eight years ago, there wasn't as much of a footprint in the marketplace for that, that framework, but now uh, that company got bought by private equity, which has expanded it immensely. They sold out their national events, and so it's something that if you haven't heard of it yet, I guarantee that if you are 
connected with other business owners, anywhere from startup to mature business, they're hearing about this concept of an operating system. Another one that, that maybe people have heard of before is uh, there's a gentleman named Vern Harnish, and he's a thought leader yep. in business Yeah, with scaling up. Um, he had the Gazelles model, the Rockefeller habits, if any of you have heard of that. Same kind of concept. We're looking for um, how can we leverage what other businesses have done successfully and model what they've done, not just high-level strategy-wise, but also tactically. How did they run their meetings? What were they measuring in those meetings? How often did they have them? Who did they hire? What was the hierarchy of their business? All those questions, again, are universal. How do I you know, structure this so that I get the maximum result from the people that are in those roles? Um, my first attempt at, at introducing this was into one of my own businesses. At the time, it was a, a telephone sales floor, a high-ticket sales floor. And instantly, um, one of the things that I noticed from introducing this was the level of accountability to a result increased dramatically, and the level of clarity as to who was accountable for that result was apparent throughout the organization, which, which made it very easy to identify where in the process of us delivering a result for a client it was breaking down um, so that it wasn't, we, we weren't catching the issue after the fact and going, oh my gosh, somebody screwed up. We were catching it because of the tempo of meetings we were having, which is once per week, and the things we were measuring. So we never allowed an effort to be more than one week off track before we caught it. And that was huge. Um, and that is something that, uh, that concept, I've built upon it. I now have a strategic advisory agency and we come into businesses and we we do that for the businesses. We scale them like crazy, we make the growth easy, and we keep the owner sane in the process. And um, the results that we've had have been, again, I'm focusing on businesses that some of you listening may say, ha, 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 that's a small business. Some of you may say, oh, my gosh, that's a big business. But most of the businesses that I tend to focus on are businesses that are doing 10 to $20 million plus, uh, less than 150. So somewhere in that range tends to be where the problems that this model, this operating system is good as addressing, it's in that range where we tend to find um, where they haven't quite found a solution yet, right? Larger businesses, they figured something out, right? For the most part. Doesn't mean that we can't come in there and calibrate or, or refine what they're doing, but most of the time the businesses that reach out to me are in that range. Now, could this work for a startup? Yes. Could it work for a business that's doing one to two million dollars a year? Absolutely, 100%. Um, so that's kind of where we find ourselves focused. Uh, and I think one of the things, there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of consultancies out there. You can go get the book yourself from EOS or Scaling Up and learn how to do it. And, but here's the challenge for most people in business. It's like, okay, guys, I got this, this plan. Okay, who's going to do it? <laughs> Nobody has bandwidth within your organization typically, right? You don't, most of us don't have people sitting on the bench waiting for a project. So a uh, distinction that we made was that nobody has bandwidth. Can we not only bring the subject matter expertise, but how do we also provide the bandwidth for implementation and cultural adoption within your organization and all those types of things? So um, our relationships with companies tend to be uh, pretty close, high rapport, high touch, high communication, because essentially people from my team are going to embed within your organization and do the heavy lifting of getting your business back on track and by using this model 
but then also be in in house to be able to make a very clean transition when it's appropriate to because they've been already working with your team they already know um, you know Jenny does this and Bill does that they, it's almost like having somebody within your organization uh, that's a superstar a specialist at this so uh, the results that we get I don't know one company uh, recently that we worked with they were doing 30 million 33 million dollars the year before we started working with them and they had the ambition to break a hundred right using EO now the model that we brought it didn't do everything somebody still had to do the work and that sort of thing but the level of direction planning and clarity that came from the effort resulted in them hitting that hundred million dollars in the first year of, of using this model they already had momentum so it's not like they were um, I'm not a, I'm not a miracle worker but I can tell you that we definitely helped facilitate. And I saw one of the principals from that company just last night here in DC, and he said that was what got us to 100 million. Um, and that's a very typical story. Uh, that kind of range, taking somebody from 25 to 75 in a year. Right now, I'm working with a company that um, their ambition is to achieve 300 million dollars in gross revenue at a 30% margin, in preparation for uh, an exit that they're focused on in five years. Uh, so the first year I started working with them, they did 20 million bucks, 300 million was ambitious. Uh, the next year, uh, they did 40 this year, we'll do 80. Um, so that's, uh, about 16 months, 18 months into the effort where we've doubled the business once again. So we'll hit that 300, um, probably a lot sooner than the five year target because we had a plan. And I'll tell you what's interesting, man, and I, I'm just rambling here. So if you have some questions, please uh, interrupt me. <laughs> no, no, no. Go um, ahead. <laughs> one of the things that, that we, we found is that when we start this process, and this is applicable to everybody listening to this, we'll sit in the room with the executive team or the leadership and we'll say, okay, guys, how do we know if we're winning? Like, like what's the goal here? And the easiest place to start is with a number. Right. It's, it's not I'm, I'm not suggesting that business should be exclusively focused on the number. I'm a big fan of corporate social responsibility and the efforts behind that and making the world a better place, not just making money for myself. Right. Um, and I'll ask, I'll say, OK, CEO, uh, how big are we going to take this? And the CEO might say, we're going to go to 100 million. I'll say, OK, CFO, how big are we going to take this? Well, I had written down 25 million. OK, CMO, how big are we taking this business? Well, I'd written down 30, 35 million. And what we find is that there's no um, consensus on how big are we taking this? What is our target? And what you find is that very quickly, if I'm thinking about getting to 100 million, I'm, I'm evaluating things through a different filter than maybe somebody on my team that just thinks that, hey, we want to grow at a 5% per year. We want to keep things nice and steady. And that disconnect results in missed opportunities, missed times. My CFO is looking at, you know, he's paying attention to how to run a $20 million business, but what I need him to do is be becoming a person that can run a $100 million business. But if he's not clear or she's not clear on that, um, when as we start scaling, things break, right? And it's not because the person's the wrong person or whatever. They might be, but it's because there wasn't clarity. And I thought we were going to Cincinnati and you thought we were going to Tokyo, right? We, we're going to end up in different directions. Um, and that's like the first thing that we start. And I think that that's a real like wake up call for the executive teams. Even if somebody was a little skeptical about what is this thing we're doing today with this dude with a funny hat, um, <laughs> they, I think everybody really quickly goes, oh, we're in deep water here, guys. We were way off on this. And then they pay attention and they really get invested because that's, um, 
uh, it's a wake up call, man, to, to, to realize that people that you were that close with operating the business that you guys were that far off on what you thought the intention was of, of our efforts. Um, and another thing that I'll tell you, depending on the size of the business, being an entrepreneur for many years, uh, in entrepreneur world, we, in, at least in, in English lexicon, we say, well, as an entrepreneur, you have if you don't kill it, you don't eat, right? So it's very much uh, an environment of I'm accountable for every every result that we get. And transitioning, and, and that's what a founder is. Like the founder's the you know the visionary, the entrepreneurial person. But as the business starts to scale, we don't have the opportunity to be in control as much anymore. A lot of owners, they don't realize that there's a difference between control and leverage. It's a concept I learned from a guy named Keith Cunningham, who, if those of you uh, aren't familiar with him, get his stuff. If you've ever heard of Robert Kiyosaki and his books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Keith Cunningham was the actual rich dad individual that Robert Kiyosaki learned all his stuff from. So fascinating, brilliant businessman. So the idea of control versus leverage is when it's five or six people, I can go look over your shoulder, virtual now, it's a little different, but I can say, no, 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 don't do it that way. I need you to do it this way. No, 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 you're, you're doing it all wrong or whatever. And that's helpful initially. But at some point, say 20 people, whatever, I can't go to every single person and control what they're doing. So I have to create an infrastructure that uh, and we've all seen the traditional organizational chart. It looks like a pyramid and that sort of thing. It's more than just something you put on the wall. It's more than just an intellectual exercise. Because what happens is those boxes that are below you, they become your, your opportunity for leverage. You can't control everybody in the organization, but you can leverage the expertise of the people directly below you to control the rest of the organization, right? So as an owner, I find that a lot of times they're very stressed out because they, they haven't shifted from control to leverage or they haven't done it as robustly as they could. And trying to be the person and operate as the person that you were when you got the business started five years later is taxing. It's very stressful. It's it's time away from your family. It's time away from, it's, it has an impact on your health, all those things. So I find that um, that's a big wake up for owners to understand, hey, am I operating in the business or am I, am I acting and thinking as an owner of the business? And that wake up call for a lot of folks is, um, an inflection point for sure. People, they realize that they have been doing it the hard way. Um, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I've got no, no problem with, with being on the grind and, you know, the whole Gary Vaynerchuk model of working your tail off to get to a result. However, uh, I look at it as in a stage of business, perhaps that's required. But if that's, your lifestyle, if that's how you want to continue to operate, even as your business doesn't require that anymore, I would suggest that it's time for one to pause and reflect. Is this who is this who runs a hundred million dollar company? Is this who runs? And the answer is no. Not that those individuals don't work hard or, but they pay a lot more attention to, to operating a process to get a result as compared to doing the work to get the result. Again, that leverage concept, and we, we met each other in an M&A environment. It's, uh, leverage is the key concept there in that uh, conversation as well, but um, it doesn't necessarily translate over to operators. And that would be one bit of advice that I would share with folks. Um, the, uh, 
how about I take a breath and see if, if you have any questions? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, if you if you if you consider like a company of size uh, 10, 20, 30 millions, then you mentioned that the the financial goals might be the issue. They're looking uh, different uh, different locations or different numbers. Then this leverage uh, and control, and uh, uh, but what, what are those factors who? Uh, I mean, which which uh, uh, which allow you to to grow, let's say, two, three, four times. I mean, so a few concepts, and I'll borrow some terms again from EOS. I'm not a genius. I'm just, um, as Keith Cunningham says, uh, ordinary efforts done regularly yield extraordinary results. And the reason is, is because most people don't do the basics. Okay, um, one of the concepts that I learned in business that has made a lot of sense. Most of the time, the visionary, the founder, the core team, they're focused on growth. Grow, 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 grow. But what, what you see is that it's the equivalent of maybe picking two or three apples from the tree, putting them in your pocket, but only one of them staying, right? We're putting all this effort into growth, but we're leaving uh, a sloppy infrastructure that supports the client, that produces the product. And I would suggest that a better approach would be, instead of just focusing on growth, it would be stabilized first then optimize your infrastructure and then expand because the the result over a longer period is going to be that retention is higher, um, net promoter score, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, all those things are higher because you stabilized and optimized your organization before you focused on trying to put more, you know, more fuel on the fire. Um, what we do is we help simultaneously we're, we're not when we come into a business with or an operating system is introduced into a business it's not at the expense of growth well, the momentum you've got can still continue on however we're preparing you to be the become the to become the company that you want to be in business and in life there's a if you want to um I guess it's be do have is how i've heard it that that process and what i mean by that is that think anybody on here would agree that the money that came into your company's bank account today wasn't a result of necessarily something you did yesterday. It was a result of a deal you closed last quarter, a year ago, whatever. There's a lag time between um, activity and result in business a lot of times, especially at scale. <clears throat> so one of the things that I, I introduced to these before we ever get started is that we need to become, if we want that result, we have to be the people now that gets that result. We can't say, oh, we're going to be a billionaire and tomorrow it happens. We have to be behave as the person well before, like that imposter syndrome and fake it till you make it. You do, you start to study the things and you start to model the people who are getting that result, even though that result may be a year away for you, five years, 10 years, whatever. But if you don't become that person now, you will not get the result. So this, what we do, it's it's a process of be, do, have. Be that person, do the things that person does, and we'll get that result. Um, how we do that framework, a couple of key things would be certainly your team. Right people in the right seats. And there's plenty of books. Um, Jim Collins with Good to Great called it, you know, getting the right people on the bus. And concept's not new, but what I find is that a lot of businesses have cultural mismatches. They'll have some people who are brilliant, but they're a jerk. Not not easy to work with or whatever, but that's my best salesperson. Yeah, but they're costing you money right now because the rest of your people don't want to work with them. They don't want to support them. They, there's churn because of that stuff. So uh, 
in any business owner that has that employee who uh, they know if they've been in this experience, they know what I'm talking about. So one of the first things that we want to do in that process after we work with the executive team is if you haven't done it, and, and I'll be honest, as an entrepreneur, I found very little value in the discussion of branding and culture. I thought those were for big, dumb businesses. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm lean and mean. I'm digital, you know, I'm data driven. But as I've gotten into a control versus leverage environment now, I realize that if you have not done a good job of identifying what your company, like, wh who are we? What do we stand for? What is, what is acceptable and what's not acceptable behavior? What is our company culture? If you haven't identified those things, you will never be able to fully leverage because you'll always be churning people out. People, won't, they won't be getting momentum. So one of the first things we do is we get the company, the executives to sit down and say, and again, this is an exercise from EOS. I'm not claiming um, uh, ownership of the intellectual property here. But we say, who are two or three superstars in the business? And, you know, they, we'll, we'll put five or ten names on the board, but the overlap usually is only with two or three of them. The CFO and the CEO and the CMO and the CTO and everybody, they all agree, yep, she's a fantastic employee for us. So then we say, okay, what is it about her? Well, she's, you know, she gets it done and doesn't need a whole lot of support and she figures it out. Okay, what else? Uh, she's very flexible. If we bring a, you know, a deadline or something, she's able to kind of um, pivot and keep her spirits up. Like, so we start to identify what's the avatar. If we had a hundred of her, you know, we'd be unstoppable, right? So we get them very clear on identifying what are those characteristics of the ideal avatar. And it's something that a lot of company, I mean, even at 20, 30, 40 million bucks, they may not have done that yet, right? And once they do it though, they start to go, oh, this is interesting. I can already see that he's not a fit. She doesn't fit that. They don't fit that. Like, so they start to be able to, through intelligent filters, uh, evaluate the people that are going to help them get that result and start to identify cultural mismatches. Um, which, which if you haven't done that, there's plenty of exercises out there that will help you kind of elicit from your team what are our core values. Because here's what I can tell you. Your company has them. Whether or not you have set them, they exist. You just may not even recognize that they're there. Um, and as an owner and somebody who wants to control the outcome, I want to influence as much as possible the system and by by having a very clear this is a yes this is a no as far as who comes into my organization allows me to do that and it becomes something that other people use as a filter again leverage they don't need me making the hiring decision if they're clear on what we stand for and what what a good fit is culturally i may not even know that somebody got hired but they're going to end up being a great fit for our organization Another, uh, another, uh, I guess, mistake I see that businesses are doing is maybe they say, hey, Chris, we've got, a, we've got our org chart together. Okay, great. What is it going to look like in five years? I don't know. Right? So if we can sit with your team and we can identify what a five-year goal is, then throughout this process, we can say, okay, again, be, do, have. What does that look like? What is that business? Not the business of today. What does the business of our future look like? Let's build that org chart. So that we can, and there's going to be a lot of empty boxes today because maybe to get to the $50 million goal or whatever, you, you, your, your team, well, we'd need an office this size and we need this many programmers and we need this many people doing and shipping. Once you start having that 
that exercise and you're building this out, you're going to realize there's a lot of empty boxes in our accountability chart. But what that does is it allows you to look at it today for where you're going and start to make much more strategic hiring choices. Because again, we're clear on where we go. We see the empty boxes. And I think what most of the CEOs or the, the, the leadership in a business will find is they will find that, wow, my name's in three or four of those boxes. How can I be an effective executive officer if I'm also, turns out, I'm also doing the books over here and I'm, you know, I'm uh, handling this and that. And that's another thing because what we want to do in that with the right people in the organization, we want to get them in uh, this concept, uh, a gentleman that started a group called Strategic Coach. He works with entrepreneurs to help them with, um, I don't know, getting the most out of their life and their business. But he introduced me to this concept. His name is Dan Sullivan. And he introduced me to this concept of unique ability. And he defines unique ability as what I like doing and what I'm good at, where those things intersect. If I can keep you in that place, this isn't work to you. You're enthusiastic about it. You're in the shower. You're thinking about, oh, how can we do this better? You're not, you know, oh, it's almost five o'clock. I'm going to cut out early. No, because it, it doesn't feel like drudgery to you, right? So we look to, in that accountability chart, the org chart, we look to find people who that role, not the person, but the role, whose unique ability is that? Who would love to be there? and Who's good at it, right? Because otherwise, all of us are finding that we're good at some things, but we may not like doing them, right? They may be things that I had to get good at earlier in my career in order to get to the next level. And now I'm kind of stuck doing it, but it's not something I liked doing. It's something I did out of necessity. So that's another exercise that we do that helps them kind of identify where they're operating outside of their unique ability. And I guarantee that if I was to sit with your executive team, somebody on that team is doing some work that's 20 bucks an hour that we could hire, you know, somebody local, somebody offshore, but we, they could be doing that. Not you, not the person who's driving a, you know, driving us to a hundred million bucks. And that's a big wake up call for a lot of executives. So as we start peeling the onion and, and removing the stuff and getting them some clarity, that's why I say they, they stay sane in the process because they, they stop doing the stuff that they don't need to do and they only focus on the stuff that they want to do and like to do. Now, I get it. That's an ideal scenario. Sometimes somebody's got to take the trash out. Totally understand. <laughs> I have no problem with that. I will do whatever it takes, but I'm aware that that's what I'm doing. And here's a good barometer for anybody who thinks that they might be in that situation. Figure out how much it is that you want to make per hour. Now, that's a weird number if you draw an annual salary or a monthly salary or whatever, but figure it out. And let's say that that was for you to hit your personal financial targets that you need to make $1,000 an hour, let's say. If you write that number and you get very clear on what that number is and use that throughout the day, is this $1,000 an hour work? Is this $1,000 an hour work? Is this? And you start to realize, man, no, it's not. I can get somebody to do this so that I can focus on the $1,000 an hour work. I can get somebody to do that. And so as an executive, if you haven't done that, not exclusively for your business, but for your own personal understanding. Um, and it's hard to argue with that because uh, saying that I learned a long time ago is that arithmetic is not an opinion. If I can go to leadership and I can say, hey guys, you know, uh, I'm in this role right here and part of my, part of what I'm doing, I'm realizing we could get somebody for 20 bucks an hour. Happy to keep doing it, but that means that I'm not doing 
financial modeling. I'm not doing business development. I'm not doing the things that really move things along. And it's hard for a boss or a board to say, no, we want you to still do the $20 an hour stuff, right? So it helps you in your career so that you get, you start to create an environment where you operate from your unique ability. Um, right people, right seats, accountability chart for sure, clarity on the outcome. What's the, what's the usual uh, time frame or t timeline for, 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 for such a process? It's usually one to two years or? One of the things, one, one of the areas where I differ from like EOS dogma is they roll out EOS in a business over a year or two. Me and my team, we do an EOS rollout in a weekend. <laughs> we're, we're, we, we compress the timeline because it, this doesn't work for every client. And if that doesn't work for them, then we're not a good, we're not a good resource for them. But if somebody is, they're in pain now, they want the fix now, they're, you know, spreading that result out over a year is uh, a, a delay of gratification that's not acceptable. We allow them to get relatively instant gratification, at least with the plan. Now, once, let's say that the executive team has success over that weekend with us and they go back and they say, hey, let's do this. Like I mentioned, somebody from my team will follow them back into the office on Monday and they will start to uh, align the politics and align the culture and align the people under the new model so that the leadership doesn't have to continue running the business and fighting the fires and introduce culture change we get to be not the bad guys but um the people that don't have the attachments to the we don't have the relationship we're we're not as no role is sacred no person in that role is well she's been doing that for 20 years yeah but she's not getting the result and our a business is a an effort to systemize the production of a result and if somebody is not getting that result Maybe she, maybe she came to the christening of your son. Maybe she was at your Christmas party or whatever. But she's, this is a business that we're running here. So we, like my people can come in and say, hmm, this doesn't compute. This doesn't fit. Whereas the CEO may say, but we can't fire her, right? You know, her dog just died. We don't know that stuff. And I'm not saying that we're heartless, but again, we're looking to help you with a result. And if the result is that you want to... Um, yeah, making money's okay, but I'd rather create an environment where I can employ my friends and make sure that the, that's okay, but I don't know that our approach um, is the best fit for that. If you're looking for a result and that result is um, ambitious, we're a very good fit for that because we're okay helping you see things that you're not seeing right now, even if they're difficult to bring to the table. We don't, again, we don't have that attachment. I mean, most of, the, most of the people that I put into your business, they're women. The reason is, and I'm not being gender or whatever, but I found in my experience in, in what we do, their attention to detail, way better than mine, way better than most men that I've worked with, and their commitment to follow through, so much better. And in, to get a result, you need those things. So what I find is that most of the time, like my chief of staff is a woman. Most of the people that she hires, it's not because she wants more women. It's because we look for a result and the avatar tends to be a woman. So we're putting uh, the people that are getting embedded in your organization. It's not, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Glen Gary, Glen Ross with Alec Baldwin and he comes in and he's talking about always be closing. 
that's not what we bring to we bring the intention to get the result but it's run through it's led by somebody who um, has a very high EQ they they're doing this from an empathic place okay so that the transition isn't as abrupt as it might be if a guy was in there and said, get rid of them kick them out right like it's um, and again it's it's not a it's been my experience um, so I think a combination of those things really allows a business to start seeing change in the first 90 days. Now, do they go from 2 million to 20 million in 90 days? They do not. But that be, do, have has begun. We start being the company that can get that result because you weren't being that company before. Um, and what ends, up, what ends up happening is that your A players, they take notice. Because we all want to have a play. Nobody who, who wants the 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 backup team running our business. Nobody, right? We all want the best that we can get. And I can tell you that a players they do not thrive in environments of chaos and dysfunction and quick pivots and things like that. They prefer a clear outcome, and they prefer that you create an environment where they can achieve that outcome with the least amount of friction. And they don't need to be managed that often. They don't need to be. Um, maybe you put them back online, hey, we're going this way, we're going this way, but it's not the OS, the operating system ends up doing a lot of the management. And one of the things that I've left out that's critical to this is that in that process of us uh, extracting the goal from the executive team, um, we start breaking it down. Okay, if we want to be there in five years, where do we need to be in four years? Three, two, one, this quarter, this week. We get down to that level of planning, which most of us have never done for our own businesses, for sure. And what that does is we start to identify, okay, how do we know we're on track? Well, if we were getting a thousand new leads a day, that would get us there. Okay, a thousand leads a day. If we were getting, uh, you know, $30,000 a day in sales or a week or whatever. Okay, well, let's mark those now. And then we have a meeting once a week. And in that meeting, we know that she's responsible, not necessarily for getting the leads but managing the process of getting the leads so if we know that a thousand was the goal and jenny has been assigned to that goal and jenny's number is 800 for the week she knows that coming into the meeting i don't have to tell her so people come to the meeting knowing that every week they're going to be looking at my numbers and there's accountability if my numbers are off we don't beat them up we don't fire them but we say hey why are your numbers off let's figure that out well, I couldn't get enough material last week. Okay, great. How do we get more material? We're identifying where that value chain in our production is breaking in those meetings. And we, again, we hold those meetings once a week, and that's all it takes because the, the, the people who are accountable for each number on that scorecard, they don't need me to tell, tell them, hey, a 1,000, you only had six, we're off. They know that. And what they don't want to do is come in every week having the same thing. Well, I thought we solved this. You said last week it was materials. Well, it was materials, but it's actually so-and-so was sick. Okay, well, how do we get a backup for so-and-so when they're sick? So we're, we're, again, we're identifying breaks in that value chain so that we're not having these problems five years from now when we're doing big numbers. We're addressing those things today so that, again, removing friction. When, when I'm in an organization, that's what I tell people. Hey, I'm here, I'm here to remove friction, right? I'm here to make this easier for you. I'm here to put some oil on the skid so you can take off. Um, but that meeting, I've found that 
because it happens the same day every week, the same time every week, the same agenda, the same attendees. So everybody is clear. It might take a couple of weeks before people realize, oh, they're serious about this. We're going to do this every week. Um, but once people realize that measurement is occurring and that the measurement is not, not arbitrary or random, it's feeding the thing I do, the button I push today because of this level of planning is impacting a result five years from now, right? So they, they understand the gravity of achieving the result that's been identified as their target, as their key metric. And am I, am I talking too fast? Am I like, no, 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 that's, that's great. I mean, okay. it's, uh, it's huge. Um, I, I was, I, I tried to use, uh, uh, one of those uh, systems, uh, Vern Harnish, uh, actually, yep. and it's really it's changing everything in the company, yes. which was which was run like five people, and now it's thirty or fifty. Beautiful. So yeah, I mean th that's great. I mean for uh, for for uh, in your in your uh, uh, area of of clients and customers, what's uh, if you can talk about what, what's usual. Uh, investment you're looking for some some uh, fee from success or or uh, how many people you, you usually include in, in in such a process like if there's any like a simple rule yeah for that. Um, as, a, as a as a supplier of this service I'll tell you what my model is the model is a fee right um, and it depends maybe you just need us to come in for the weekend you're like, hey, we, we've, we've been studying this. We just need a little help. Can you come in? That's one yep. thing. My preferred operation is that you and I have a relationship for a very long time. Because at the scale of operation that I prefer to work, changes take a while. I'll give you a perfect example. Sure. I'm um, helping a company now. Uh, we April of last year, we did that, that weekend, that compressed weekend that I shared. Um, this quarter ending in April, or starting in April, uh, Q2, the momentum has finally clicked in. We've got the right people in the right seats. We've realigned the accountability chart. The culture has changed to adopt this new behavior. The clarity of the outcome is apparent. The participation in the process and in the meetings and that sort of thing, it's there. As a result, the morale in this company, sky high the results on the bottom line and the top line through the roof. So in that, in that case, but again, that's an organization that um, was doing 20, they got to 40, they want 80 this year. So it was that size operation. If you've got a small team, if you've got maybe five or six people, you can see the results in 30 days perhaps, right? Because once you identify what, guys, we're, we need a thousand leads a day and we're only getting 500. Go fix that. You'll notice that pretty quickly in the smaller businesses. Yep. So the cycle, I would say, if you're a small to medium-sized enterprise, um, allow for a year, right? Allow for a year before you, you go, oh, my gosh, this is really working. You'll see results. You'll see, as they say, you'll see green shoots. You'll see things starting to grow that are encouraging and promising that you're on the right track. But the real impact where you just – you when other people – from inside and outside your organization say, Lubo, this is not the same business. This is a different business and I love it. That's, give yourself, don't rush that, right? The outcome that you want is is worth being patient, so. Yeah, so uh, uh, Chris, this was a great insight and, uh, and 
I think uh, it's really uh, for for a few companies which, we, which I saw, it's really changing the the whole thing. So it's really uh, our people, our clients. They say it's like version two, right, yes. <laughs> of, of, yes. of our company. So um, I'm very glad that you 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 find some time to 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 share experience and maybe uh, just uh, just some personal question at the end. Uh, if if you should send the, this podcast to the to the past to your to to your younger self, what would you what would you say? What would you send to yourself? I'd say stick with something, <laughs> because again, being entrepreneurial, we have the gift and the curse of being able to see opportunity everywhere. Well, they should be doing it this way. Oh, if I did that, you know, and. But what I know is that result doesn't come from digging wide. It comes from digging deep. And that would be the number one thing. I'm thrilled with the success that I've had in my life in the past five years. I'm 50. This stuff wasn't newly discovered. It's been around for 100 years. So if I would have stuck with something, I would have gotten to the point to where I was my client. I was the one that, that wanted to scale but was dealing with chaos. And I would have explored these things sooner. Um, and I think that would have been the number one thing. Look, when you find the thing, stick with it. <laughs> Great. Chris, uh, once again, thank you very much. And uh, good luck with your business. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lou.